0: Hi there. We're in a series on the Lord's Prayer at the moment. And if you know where the Lord's Prayer is um, and what we're doing in the series is just taking a bit at a time of the greatest prayer ever prayed and just talking about what it means and how we do it, why it's there, what Jesus wanted us to do in praying and, and how we do it. Just try and expand on it and help us use it in our daily lives. And so we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6 and We're going to be looking mainly at verse 12 today, which again, if you saw Roberta's wonderful story earlier, you will probably have picked up. We're going to be talking about forgiveness um, from verse 12. But I'm going to start reading at verse 5, and then we'll read through from verse 5 to verse 15, and then focus in on verse 12. Matthew 6. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles do. As we have also forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is the Word of God. Now, these are incredibly familiar words to most of us, I expect. Most, most of us, even those of us who are not followers of Jesus at the moment, have probably heard those words in some context. And the beauty, I think, of, of reflecting on the Bible and what we sometimes call meditating on it is that we can draw out more and more of a passage even when we know it well. So you can read a passage that you've heard many times, but there's more to be found in there. So for instance, You probably noticed as you read through it that the word we used, forgive us our debts, is different from the word that we often use in English when we're using this prayer in society at large. Usually we would use the word sins or the word trespasses, but in the version in Matthew that we've just read, Jesus actually says the word debts. And that's a different word from the word that he uses in Luke's gospel when we have the same kind of prayer. So in Matthew it says forgive us our debts and in Luke it says forgive us our sins. And that's a different word again from the word he used at the end of the passage we just read when he said, if you forgive others, they're trespasses. Debts, sins, trespasses. He uses three different words for the things you're supposed to forgive somebody else of or to ask God for forgiveness of. Why does he do that? It's good to ask questions like that of Scripture. Saying, What's going on? Debts, sins, trespasses? Do they mean the same thing? What's the difference here if there is one? I mean, sins is probably the broadest term. Sins is a a word that refers to falling short of a standard or of missing a mark. And it's a pretty general term for anything that should be achieved that wasn't, or that you're reaching for something and you don't get it. So that's a broad term. Then trespasses, or a similar word, transgressions, is a narrower word because that's a word you would only use if you were specifically breaking a particular rule or law or command. So a trespass is something where there's a law that says you should do something and you did something else. And we still use the word in that sense in English today. So if somebody said no trespassing, you know that that refers to a specific impinging on someone else's property. It's a, it's a, there is a law that you've broken. That's not necessarily true of sin, but it is true of trespasses. And then the word debts is even more specific, isn't it? Because the word debtor only applies where there is a specific obligation you owe to someone else. That's the only context in which you'd use that word. It implies a kind of wrongdoing in which I was supposed to, I owed someone else a particular kind of obligation and I didn't fulfill it. So if you ask me to lend you a fiver and I say no, I'm not in your debt. I might be stingy, but I'm not in your debt. But if I lend you a fiver, and then you're supposed to pay it back to me, and then you don't, you are in my debt. You see, it's a very specific kind of thing. Uh, it's a very kind of narrow usage of the word. So when we ask God to forgive us our debts, as well as our sins or our trespasses, we are actually saying, God, I owe you this sort of response of obedience and faith, and I haven't done it. I am in obli- under obligation to you. You well, you have every right to expect me to do this, and I haven't done it. Do you see, it's quite a... In using that word, we are tightening our understanding of what it is. It's not just such a bland word. I mean, that's a bad way bad word to use. It's not such an open-ended word as sin. Sin is quite an open word. And it can be dulled through overuse if we're not careful. The word debt's Like like, I should have done this. I am in debt to you because you were right to expect this of me, and I haven't done it. And the other thing I love about the word is that... By saying forgive us our debts as we've forgiven our debtors, we are also reminded that the act of forgiveness might well involve very practical, real things we're supposed to do for other people, including discharging them of financial debts. And by the way, I don't think that means that all of you in banking need to go into the office on Monday morning and just say, we're going to cancel all the debts. But actually, that's the resonance that word would have. And there are a lot of contexts in which that is the practical way we are supposed to live it out. Say, I must, Like we've just in the story that the children acted for us. We're intended, intended to liberate other people of the things that we have a right to to be entitled to, and yet we decide to let them go anyway. Because that's what people who've experienced the grace of God in Jesus do. I have been let off this massive 10,000 bags of gold debt, and as a result, I'm going to let you off the little thing you owe me. It's a very tangible, real-world kind of word. So there's, there's things to reflect on, even though you know the words well. Another thing that's worth noticing in the the Lord's Prayer. Did you notice that um, the request for forgiveness is only the the fourth out of five requests in the Lord's Prayer? I mean, this is week four of a five-week series, and this is the first time we've come to the issue of sin. I don't know if you start early on in your prayer by coming to God and saying, Lord, I know I've sinned. Well, Jesus in the Lord's Prayer doesn't start there. Jesus actually comes to sin week four out of five if you like we've got five clauses our father in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done give us today our daily bread forgive us our sins as we forgive those deliver us from evil and actually it's only in week four or line four that we get to the issue of sin and that in my experience that's not how people instinctively pray and the way i learned this it kind of drove it home to me in a way that i wouldn't have seen as when I was on honeymoon, we were flying into a town um, that was on the edge of a lake. It's in New Zealand. and it's on the edge of a lake with mountain ranges on both sides. So basically a massive wind tunnel and the aeroplane's coming in over. So there's a long lake called Lake Wakatipu and there's two sets of mountains on both sides. So it's like a massive wind vortex and as you're flying into it, the plane is pretty bumpy. And when I say pretty bumpy, I mean one of those flights where the flames are dropping out of the sky. Everybody's screaming, shouting. The air hostesses look terrible. You know, you're supposed to look at them for reassurance. That didn't help at all. It was just terrifying. We land. Everybody uproarious relief and applause and whooping. Pilot comes on and says, "Yes, ladies and gentlemen, that's one of the most interesting journeys into Queensland." You know, that kind of it was that. It was a pretty scary flight, right? Uh, Rachel is terrified. Was terrified of flying for ten years after that experience. I, of course, I'm English and a man, so I go, it's not scary at all. Oh, we'll be fine. We'll be... You know. And one of the things that happened in that flight is you hear people praying. People cry. They do. If you've been in a situation like that where people think their life is at danger, people pray. A lot of them are not necessarily Christians, I expect, but they pray anyway. And here's the main prayer that you hear coming out. Oh, God, save me! Save me! Help! That's what most people pray. Deliver us from evil. That's what they're praying. Deliver us from evil. Help! That's where most people start to pray. They're in a situation where they need it. And they start at the end of the Lord's Prayer. Ah, help! And some of them, interestingly, Rachel heard one person shouting out, Mother of God, forgive me! Because what we do is we think we're about to face death. We ask for help and rescue from evil. And some of us then go on to say, please forgive me from sin. So what we do is we start at the end of the Lord's Prayer and we work backwards. Actually, the next thing you do, if you are going if you carry on praying like that, the next thing you might do is you say, please now, give me what I need. Give me stuff. Give us today our daily bread, as we saw last week. And actually, it's only really when you become a Christian that you begin to say things like, may your kingdom come and your will be done, and prioritize God's purposes, not just yours. And then the sort of high point of prayer is almost when you enjoy God for who he is, and you don't ask him anything. You just say, our Father... Hallowed be your name. It's interesting, isn't it? We pray the Lord's Prayer backwards. Naturally, that's what we do. That's the way that if you have come to prayer, you've probably learned to do it the wrong way around. <laughs> because you start with your urgent needs and then gradually move back until you're enjoying God for who He is. And Jesus says, Don't pray it that way around. Start at the beginning. Start by recognizing who you are coming to and his beauty and glory. Then ask for his purposes. Then you ask for your needs. Only then do you need to start talking about your sin. You do need to talk about it and ask for forgiveness, but not first. And then eventually ask for deliverance from evil. Jesus says, pray it forwards. Fatherhood comes before forgiveness. Identity comes before iniquity. Sonship comes before sinfulness. And I'm actually, I've got an eight-year-old son, I'm trying to teach him this at the moment. He's trying to get his head around how it's the case that I can be cross with him for what he has done, and that he needs to say sorry for it, and that I love him, whether or not he does, and that I will love him when we do this. I learned it from a friend of mine. I love you when you're good. I love you when you're naughty. I love you all the time. And trying to get him to understand that, at the same time as he understands that he needs to say sorry for what he's done wrong, is a parenting challenge, and many of us have faced it. But that's what God's trying to do with us in this prayer. You've got to understand, I am your father. God is your father, and it's only when you're grounded in that reality that you can move on to talk about your sinfulness and your need for rescue in the right framework. Now, the ordering might sound incidental. It might sound like, oh, I'm not sure that that's quite what Jesus meant. I think it's central to the gospel that it is. Romans 5.8, God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Right? The act that God takes to you in Christ happens before you even know you are a sinner, and it happens while you still are. And it's only then that you begin to realize, because you are this and I am this, I'm sorry, God, please forgive me my sins. So I hope there's things for us to see in the Lord's Prayer that we might have missed, even if we know it pretty well. That's, I think, what Jesus is saying. That's why he's teaching us to pray this way, in this order. But in my experience, when you do that, and you go, okay, fine, forgive us our debts as we forgive. I get that, right? I understand why it's there and why it's at this point in the prayer. It often prompts two related questions, which is, why should I do that, and how do I do that? And I want to look at why first, briefly, and then look at a bit of how. But I think sometimes it does raise the question, why? Why do you need to ask for forgiveness? And I had this question just a few weeks back. I run a theological conference every year called Think, and uh, we get lots of, sort of theologically wired guys come together, and we study the Bible for three days and look at it in a lot of depth. And one individual came up to me this year and said to me, One of the things I wrestle with is, if I am already justified or declared righteous by God in Jesus, why do I need to ask for forgiveness? Have you ever wondered that? Like, If I'm already justified, if I'm righteous in God's sight, why do I need to ask for forgiveness? A few years ago, I heard one guy who was so certain he was right about this and so convinced that he he was telling people, you shouldn't pray the Lord's Prayer at all. He was saying, you mustn't pray the Lord's Prayer because you've already been forgiven. And I was thinking, hang on, that that is bunk. Seriously, if if your system convinces you that you should tell people not to do what Jesus told them to do, something's gone wrong somewhere. So I, I don't know what it is at this point, but let's work back from there and figure it out. But actually, underlying it is a good question, which is, how do I make sense of what it means to be righteous at the same time as asking for forgiveness? And I think that the guy who was asking me the question was confusing two biblical pictures as if they were the same thing. You see, when you say that somebody's righteous or justified, you are using a legal picture. You're imagining them as being in a courtroom and you and me as being the, the accused, if you like, in a courtroom and God as the judge and God as acquitting us from our sin. Great. That's what you, when you use the language of justified, that's what you're saying. When you use the language of forgiveness From your father, you are not talking about God in the courtroom context at this point. You are not using a legal metaphor, you're using a family metaphor. The Lord's Prayer is a family prayer. You can tell because it begins, our father. And as soon as you realize that, you start thinking, oh, okay. So in a law court context, to say I need forgiveness would be to imply that I hadn't already been acquitted. And would be odd, wouldn't it? You go, and go into. If you've been acquitted in a courtroom, you don't go back to the judge and ask for forgiveness. The judge says, I've already, acqui- I've already acquitted you, get out of here. But in a family, you're not dealing with legal categories, you're dealing with relational, fatherly, childlike categories, aren't you? And so you ask for forgiveness, even though you know that your legal status is not at risk. Okay, so tomorrow is my 13th wedding anniversary. And... Do you, know what, do you know what? This is a, this is a weird thing. The average, we have now been married longer than the average marriage in this country. My wife is 32. She got married when she was 19. She's been married longer than the average marriage in this country, which I was really surprised by. We looked it up yesterday. I was just being nosy. It's 12 years. So anybody who's been married 12 years or more, congratulations. But anyway, so I was just thinking this through and thinking, wow, in those 13 years, I have sinned against Rachel a lot. Like She has seen the worst of me. I've sinned a lot against her, but every time I've sinned against her and asked for forgiveness, I have not become less married legally. Right? When I sin against her, our relationship suffers, but our legal standing doesn't. I'm just as married after I've sinned. I'm a toe rag, I'm a scoundrel, but I'm still married. When my son sins against me. He's, I'm still legally his dad just as much as he was before he did. You see, and what we mustn't do is conflate the legal categories of the courtroom with the family categories of the Lord's Prayer. Because otherwise you'll think, I don't know why I'm asking for forgiveness. But in a family, you don't ask for forgiveness to restore your legal standing, do you? You ask for forgiveness because you want your relationship to be healed and restored and fully flourishing. And it's the same with God. And that's basically what I told this guy who asked me this question. You might, you are justified. Praise God for that. Celebrate it. But please don't allow that metaphor of a law court to completely change the way you see the family of God in which you are God's children and you want relationship to be strong and open with him. So, Now some of us don't worry about it. Some of us say, the reason I pray forgive us our sins is because Jesus said so. And I'd say, that's a good answer. Well done. I'm glad you don't struggle with it. But for others, that answer might help, and it might also help to think this way, that by training us every time we pray this prayer to come to God for forgiveness, Jesus is also training us to forgive other people every time we pray. You notice, this is the, that's the one clause in the Lord's Prayer where there's something we have to do as we're praying it, right? The others are all saying, God, could you do this, or God, be this. This bit is saying, Lord, would you do this as I do that? And I think Jesus puts it in here to train us that whenever you come to him in prayer, you are actively releasing others from their debts to you, many of which are very painful. All right, we won't have to go into that here, but there will be... Weights of sin against everybody in this room that other people have have done to you. And actually to let go of those things is costly. But Jesus is saying, you've got to keep doing that whenever you come to God in prayer. Because the weight of debt that you had against God is far greater. And on that basis, continually show the grace to others that God has shown you, even when it really stings. Now, I'm not going to focus so much on that part because we had a message on that topic a few months back in the Invited series. Phil Varley preached on it. But Jesus pulls no punches in this passage about it, and particularly in verses 14 and 15. And so, But if you are regularly asking for forgiveness for your debts, it's very hard to keep lording over other people's debts over against them. So I think that's why Jesus says you should pray this. I think there's a few reasons. I think understanding family metaphor is really important, and understanding our need to continually forgive others is important. That's why we do it. But people also ask how, and this is what the kind of the last bit of the message. But how do you do that? How do we pray for forgiveness? How do you ask God? And can you is that we just say that phrase? I mean, because some people would do that. They would say, "I ask for forgiveness simply by using this prayer," and some of us have daily been using it in the last few weeks and just saying this is a helpful practice. Just I memorize it, I pray it, and it becomes part of my normal daily routine. Some of us might have a, slightly, a different, slightly different practice, which is where we take a phrase of the Lord's Prayer in each day and use it on a, so on a Monday. You might say, Our Father in heaven. And on a Tuesday, hallowed be your name. And on a Wednesday, your kingdom. And go through the week like that and begin to explore and expand. Forgive me my debts. Like this and this and that. Things I should not have done. I owed you obedience and I didn't do it. Forgive me, please. Knowing that he will. But you've asked for forgiveness as I have forgiven this person and that person when they did this, and that's made me feel this. But, Lord, I forgive them again, and I forgive them, and I forgive them. Now, as general advice for prayer, if you do it like that, which I think is a great practice, I would, can I just give you two general bits of advice for prayer? Some of us, this is teaching grant to suck eggs. Some of us, it'll help. Pray with words and pray with specifics. Generally, in all prayer, right? Certainly true of forgiveness, but I think it's true of all prayer. Pray with words and pray with specifics. And that, those two things together will help you fight one of the great enemies of prayer, which is brain waffle. I don't know if you've ever experienced brain waffle, but in my experience, it goes, you, when you're speaking, you, there are all, many of us struggle to waffle when we're speaking. But I tell you, I'm a, I'm a preacher, right? So I know all about it. But if you are not speaking, it is so much easier to waffle in your head. It goes like this. Lord, I thank you. I want to. Is that a duck out there? Oh, I just really. Okay, back. Okay, Lord, um, thank you. And I pray for this meeting that I've got later on. Actually, I don't know where I put my notes for that meeting. Have I got them with me? I better go and check. Your brain just waffles all the time, doesn't it? As soon as you use words, it's surprisingly difficult to do that. When you actually say things out loud, using your mouth and speaking, it's kind of a lot harder to waffle in your head. Now, that might affect your location for your prayer time. Because if you are sitting on the 176 bus and you start saying, Lord, I pray for your forgiveness for lusting after that woman in the fourth row of the bus, that's not going to edify anybody. It's certainly not going to help your prayer life. So there will be probably some context that that might shape you. But to use words out loud. I mean, Jesus here says, go into your room, shut the door, and pray. And for some reason, in evangelical circles, we generally, the prayer posture is eyes closed, maybe hands together even, silent. I'm not sure that's always very helpful. And I certainly think the silent bit is not always very helpful, because in speaking, we actually make ourselves much more likely to stay on focus with what we're actually doing. And I would say that's certainly true for forgiveness. You see, if you say, Lord, Lord, forgive us our sins, and with specifics, it's good to start saying, I did this, and I shouldn't have, and please forgive me. And I did that, and that was wrong in your sight. Please forgive me. And when you forgive others, forgive others with words and specifics. Father, I forgive her for what she said. It made me feel like this, and I didn't like it. But I know that you have forgiven me way more than that. And I forgive her. And I ask that you would help me act lovingly and kindly towards her, And I pray that you would bless her in spite of the things that she has said. Do you see? You're actually naming specific issues rather than, Yeah, Lord, I'm sure I've done something a bit naughty somewhere. I'm sure you're going to scrub that out. And Lord, if anyone's ever done anything wrong to me, then I'll just leave it. That's not how you pray in this area. It's good to use words. And it's good to be, use specifics. So there's some general advice on forgiving and asking for forgiveness. But on top of the general advice, there's a bit of, if you like, some, some help we can get, which I find personally very helpful in learning to pray, has been learning from the prayers of other people, many of whom have given a lot of attention and time to pray well. Many of those prayers are rich and beautiful and thoughtful and set to music in many cases as well. So you can learn from the Psalms. The Psalms are Wonderful prayers. If you ever feel you've got angry about injustice or fr- frustration or difficulty in life, you need to read the Psalms and you realize you are lowballing it. The Psalms are visceral. They are sometimes quite violent prayers of people who are saying, Come on, God. And they are beautiful in that way because they actually articulate what's really going on in your heart rather than sometimes what we pretend is going on in our heart, which is that everything's pretty much okay. And so if you want to learn how to Pray for forgiveness. You might want to go to Psalm 51, which David prayed just after what had happened with Bathsheba. And he doesn't pull his punches against you. You only have a sin. I've done what I've been sinful from birth. Oh, please save me because of your unfailing love. Would you wash me that I might be whiter than snow? My skins are scarlet. Cleanse me with hyssop. And he just goes on this lengthy confession, asking for forgiveness rant. And it's beautiful because he knows how broken he is and how terrible what he's done is. And you may find his example very helpful when you're praying for forgiveness. Use Psalm 51, among others. There'll be others as well. So you can learn from psalms. You can learn from hymns as well, actually, because hymns are basically prayers set to music. And because nobody bothers remembering the duff ones, only the good hymns survive. Yeah? The bad hymns just disappear into the history books, but the good ones are still with us. And so you might find, I want in ask, you know, asking for forgiveness, I like Rock of Ages. Do you know Rock of Ages? the hymn Rock of Ages? Rock of Ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed be for sin the double cure. Cleanse from wrath and make me pure. Nothing in my hand I bring; simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to Thee for dress; helpless look to Thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly; wash me, Saviour, or I die. And you notice what that song does. It, it doesn't pull its punches on sin. It says, "This is we are. I am a foul person. Sometimes I do awful things. But Your blood is greater. It's richer. It's deeper. Now please forgive me." It doesn't. It doesn't fudge sin. But what it does is it orients us immediately in the gospel and points us to Christ and says, yes, this was bleak and awful, but God and his mercy is greater. And it gives you assurance even as you pray it. So you can learn from psalms, you can learn from hymns, you can learn from modern songs as well. I'm going to sing one at the end of this message. Which was, I play the piano, so I sometimes just sing this one myself. I, just, I love it. Lord, I come, I confess. Bowing here, I find my rest. Without you, I fall apart. You're the one who guides my heart. Oh, I need you, Lord. I need you. Every hour, I need you. My one defense, my righteousness. Oh, Lord, how I need you. I'm going to sing it in a moment because it's a good, in that sense, prayer of confession. And so you can learn from modern songs. And you can also learn from what we often call liturgy, which is effectively prayers written by people a while back that put into words words what's going on as we approach God. They're just good prayers written by other people. I think some of the best prayers in any language are written in the Book of Common Prayer in English by Thomas Cranmer, the Anglican from 500 years ago. But they're so helpful. Here's one that I think I'm, I'm going to ask if If you're up for this, just to pray. We can pray this together. This is a really good prayer. I just You can hopefully read it. If you can't read it, then just... Trust that what other people are praying is helpful as well. But this is a great prayer of asking for forgiveness. It's just a good way of doing it, I think. So some of us already know it. If you don't, you hopefully can read it. But let's pray it together, okay? Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we have sinned against you and against our fellow men in thought and word and deed, through negligence, through weakness, through our own deliberate fault. We are truly sorry... And repent of all our sins for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, who died for us. Forgive us all that is past and grant that we may serve you in newness of life to the glory of your name. Amen. Now, I love that prayer. What I also love is that immediately after it, in the service, this is what the person who's conducting the service then says to the people who've prayed it. He says, Almighty God who forgives all who truly repent, have mercy upon you, pardon and deliver you from all your sins, confirm and strengthen you in all goodness, and keep you in life eternal through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. I love that, because the people come and say, we need help, and then the the pastor says, and you've got it, because God will forgive everybody who truly repents, hallelujah, and points them again back to the gospel. And some of us, I know, will find praying written prayers a bit unfamiliar. I just suggest we do that all the time anyway. It's just they've usually got music underneath. Right? That's what our songs are. They're prayers written by someone else. I think it's a good thing to do. And you might find some of those things helpful in learning how to pray when it comes to the issue of forgiveness. But the main thing, friends, is not the words you use. The main thing is that you come to God, whether it's eloquent in the Bible, in a song, or just you on your own in a room saying, God, I've messed it up. And I've, I, here is what I did. It was wrong. But I'm asking you, please forgive me because Jesus' mercy is greater than my sin. And as we do that, we find the mercy and grace of a loving father is always available to us to draw us to him, whatever we've done. As Jesus was giving his life for us, he said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. And so every time you repent and ask for forgiveness, no matter how bad it is, you know that the Father will say yes because Jesus asked him to even as he was dying for us. Amen? Let's pray the Lord's Prayer together, shall we? As we should we stand? And then the band will come up. And let's just pray the Lord's Prayer using the version you've got on the cards. And let's ask God. Our Father, who is in heaven